Thank God today, and this is Pastor Adams, President and Founder of Truth Matters Ministries in Atlanta, Georgia. And we're just once again so thankful and delighted that you've given us time to listen to our Truth Matters podcast. And we take very seriously the charge to be host in attendance of this very vital ministry of contending for the faith that has once and for all been delivered unto the saints according to Jude 3. And today, before we get into our teaching, we want to pause and pray. Now, Father, we thank you once again for life. We thank you, Lord God, for our uprising, and we thank you for our downsitting. We thank you for how you watched over us from the thief that goeth by night and the arrow that flieth by day. We thank you that you've clothed us with a reasonable portion of health and strength. We thank you that we do have our right mind. We thank you, Lord, for our family members all across the world, how you've kept them and how you preserve them. We thank you today, Lord, for those who are going through great trials and tests, that you would be the lifter of their heads, that you would be their company keeper, that you would be their secure, that you would be their peace and joy. We thank you, Lord God, that you always stand by their side. You never leave nor forsake them. You bless someone today, Lord, who may be in the need of encouragement, who may need direction for their living. Let them embrace the words that come forth through this podcast, that they may be better equipped to share the gospel and build your kingdom. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. And today, during our Truth Matters podcast, we're going to examine the critical component of spiritual discernment, of spiritual discernment. Now, listen to me. Discernment is defined as the ability to judge well. Did you hear me? It's the ability to judge well. There are so many people who says, well, I'm praying to God for the gift of discernment. And they think that they're going to get some mystical, esoteric endowment that's just going to invade their brain and let them be able to see things and to be able to d- determine and detect things through some esoteric uh, endowment. But really, discernment is defined as the ability to just judge well. Now, in Christian context, it is how do we have perception in the absence of judgment with a view of obtaining spiritual guidance and understanding? I want you to hold on to those definitions as we go through our teaching today. And I'm going to begin our examination by my experience with Deacon Coleman while being stationed in Nuremberg, Germany years ago. I remember one night we were riding back from a church service in Würzburg and he kept telling me that he sees two lights and he said he just can't determine which one of those lights was the real or the true light. I thought he was referring to the headlights of the cars that were approaching us on this winding dark German road, but he explained that he was speaking of whether the biblical presentation of salvation and the gospel was true or if his recent exposure to Mormonism was correct or true. And unfortunately, a few weeks later, he attended this big Mormon meeting and assembly that they had in Munich, Germany, and there he joined this cult known as Mormonism. And I remember I was so devastated since I looked up to Deacon Coleman. He was my spiritual mentor. I just couldn't properly discern his decision, and I, I began to question Why did he leave the biblical gospel and embrace a cult that teaches aberrant and rank false doctrine? See, this event sparked a desire in me to learn about orthodox biblical doctrine and then being able to learn it and then contrast it 
to those dangerous teachings and movements that were antithetical to sound biblical doctrine. I, re- I enrolled in an apologetics course and I studied the writings and, you know, some of the world's foremost theologians and apologists, men such as Dr. Walter Martin, the president of the Christian Research Institute, Dr. Norman Geisler, and Dr. William Lane Craig, Dr. John Lennox from England and Ravi Zacharias, great men such as John MacArthur and Donald Gray Barnhouse. And I learned the orthodox doctrine of Christ and I was able to discern the truth from a lie. And I was able to discern what's authentic from what is counterfeit. Now, you might say, Pastor Adams, why is that important? Well, our Lord has commanded that pastors feed the flock of God in 1 Peter 5, 2 and 3. Didn't he? Also, in the book of Acts, the 20th chapter in the 28th verse, we see where the Holy Spirit admonished pastors to feed the flock and do what else? Take care of them. Why? Because he obtained them with his blood. Now, what does a shepherd do to protect the flock? You might be wondering, what is? what are the steps in that? Well, Timothy, uh, in 2 Timothy 3, it gives us an explanation. Listen to what it says. It says, thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith my long-suffering, my charity, my patience in persecutions. But I want you all to be mindful of one thing. What was the first thing that he had made known to the body of Christ? It was the doctrine of Christ. That was the top priority in how he was going to protect the flock of God. It was by teaching them Christ's doctrine. See, the church is impotent in knowing the doctrine of Christ, which includes soteriology and Christology and ontology and epistemology, which we'll be looking at a little further in this podcast. See, we are immature babies concerning our discernment of authentic biblical doctrine. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Mm-hmm. You too, sir. And you too, ma'am. And too often, When we hear a person with a title such as pastor, bishop, God forbid uh, that they announce themselves as a prophet or an apostle, we reverence their titles and their celebrity and their alleged religious notoriety so much and we never question their biblical acumen or that person's commitment to biblical orthodoxy. I know what I'm saying is true. We as members of the body of Christ have been negligent and undisciplined in learning biblical hermeneutics. You might say, well, what's that, Pastor Adams? Well, it's the art and science of interpretation. Because if you majored and you were an expert in biblical hermeneutics, you would never have a problem in understanding and discerning what the Bible is saying to you. And you wouldn't have to sit and be spoon-fed by illiterate pastors who have never committed themselves to biblical hermeneutics. See, if you did that, it would prevent us from discerning, you know, because we don't have, uh, you know, the knowledge of biblical hermeneutic is preventing us from discerning when a teacher is not rightly or correctly dividing or cutting straight the word of almighty god men such as benny hinn and jim jones they seized on the biblical illiteracy of their followers and their followers 
paid for it with their lives. So sad to say. Now, many in the visible church today have accepted unbiblical doctrines such as sowing financial seeds. I want you just to tune in and stay stay alert because one of yours might be in this list. Sowing financial seeds. Maybe you've been exposed to little God theology. Maybe you've accepted the doctrine of prosperity, of guaranteed health and wealth. Maybe you've been taught generational curses and positive confession. Don't you speak that thing into existence or I'm going to speak that thing into existence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Or that Jesus only theology or that spiritual covering theology or that speaking in tongues and modern day prophets and revelation theology. Did people in the church test all of those teachings hermeneutically? I would say no. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 21. It says, test all things. What does that include? Does that include what the preacher says on Sunday? Does that include what someone was saying when I was online listening to this preacher on the internet? Or I was on TikTok and someone did a post? Am I supposed to test that too? And if I am, why? The Bible says, test all things so you can discern or judge what is good or true. Tested by what? Tested by what's written in the word. Tested by what what is hermeneutically and biblically sound and orthodox. Tested against that. And then you'll be able to discern or judge what is good or true. And until you do that, you're gonna always be living in error and living in false doctrines false doctrinal constructs. The Bible says in Acts 17, it reveals how Paul, who God inspired to write most of the New Testament, was challenged by the Berean church members. What did they do? They listened to his sermon, but before they accepted his teaching, they checked the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. And as a result, Paul commended them and he called them noble for placing what God had already revealed in scripture as the final court of arbitration for discerning what is true. My question is, do you do that? Or do you conclude that because their name is T.D. Jakes or Creflo Dollar or Michael Todd, that they get immunity from scrutiny or from being tested against the inspired word of God. Now, my question is, did we commit ourselves to studying to make ourselves approve of God or did we put on our spiritual bibs and get spoon-fed error and lies and deception? I want to just take a few moments and give you some examples of how wolves and sheep clothing have departed from orthodox teachings of scripture and they attempt to lead the flock away from the truth. One of them was I was listening to a pastor here in Atlanta, Pastor Jamal Bryant. He's a pastor of Newburgh's church. I've been out there many times. I've attended many times back when Eddie Long was the pastor. It's one of the largest churches in Atlanta. And in, in Pastor Bryant, he has a repeated history of moral indiscretions, but more glaring and dangerous are his erroneous doctrinal declarations. He recently was invited to one of Atlanta's largest gay lifestyle endorsing churches. 
And when he got there, he made a statement. He said, on behalf of the black church, I want to apologize for not being more accommodating and accepting of the LGBTQ lifestyle. That's what he said in essence. He said that to the pastor who was married and having sex with another man and a whole congregation of homosexuals who were being involved in homosexual and lesbian acts and relationships. Now, Jamal, for social correctness and acclaim or for willful blindness of biblical prohibitions, he compromised the scriptures and the sound doctrine of the Bible. Now, Jamal Bryant, when preaching at a service where Marvin Sepp of the renowned gospel group commission was the pastor, he taught that Jesus had older brothers. Well, you might say, Pastor Adams, what's wrong with that? What, what are you just, you know, trying to pick and find error? Well, let me tell you what's wrong with that. How about this would imply that Mary was not a virgin when Christ, the God man, the eternal God of creation, that he was not really who he said and claimed to be. Now, this is not just a spiritual misnomer that Jamal Bryant committed. This is a heretical capital offense to Christology, soteriology, and the essential doctrine of the Trinity in one statement. Did Marvin Sapp or the leaders of the church reprove him? No. Did the congregation rebuke him for violating the core cardinal doctrine of Christ? No way. Why? Because there is no discernment. There's no conviction or dedication to doctrinal purity anymore within the visible church. See, further on in his sermon, Jamal Bryant said, Wait, wait for it. He said Jesus lived 85% of his life outside of the will of God. Did you hear me? He stated that Jesus was living 85% of the time doing the will of Joseph, his earthly father, at the expense of the will of his heavenly father. Well, you know what? In essence, he was saying Jesus was living in disobedience to the Father in heaven, which is another really slick way of saying that Jesus was living 85% of his life in sin. I want you to chew on that one for more than a minute. What then is the ramification of this false teaching? Jamal Bryant denigrated Christ to the status of just another sinner in need of repentance and forgiveness just like you and me along with disqualifying Jesus as being righteous and if you disqualify Jesus from being righteous it annuls our righteousness that God had announced in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 now if the parishioners of that church were discerning they would have referred to St. John 8 and 29 where Jesus declared I always do the will 
of my heavenly father. They would have held on to the words of God, the father in Hebrews 1 and 9, where the father said, thou Jesus has loved righteousness and hateth iniquity. Instead, the baby immature members were there sitting there saying amen and shaking their head and they sat there and let him feed them the damnable doctrines that robs Christ of his deity and derails the plan of salvation for the entire body of Christ. I began to pray for that church and that, that they would be able to shake free from their religious form of godliness as they deny the power of the gospel that is preserved eternally in doctrinal peers and pillars and foundations. One of the culprits involved in the lack of spiritual discernment is a lack of formal biblical training by pastors. That's right, I said that. Pastors now teach that the compulsory words of a message that they are presenting are just hot off of the throne or the lap of God and is being spoken through their mortal mouth as a preacher. Now listen to me today. There is no new revelation or new understanding of biblical doctrines for the church in the 21st century. Say it again, Pastor Adams. There is no new revelation or new understanding of biblical doctrines for the church in the 21st century. The church does not need new revelation. You know what its greatest need is? The church's greatest need is illumination of what God has already revealed in Scripture. If someone suggests that God has a a fresh word for the church at that moment your spiritual alarm should be blaring and it should start going off and you need to jump in your spiritual foxhole and prepare for battle see the bible says that pastors should be apt to teach in james 3 and 1 it warns us that he that teacheth will be subject to a harsher judgment beloved today remember there will be accountability from the God of heaven for those misleading the flock. I remember I graduated from veterinarian school in Illinois and graduated from the Academy of Health Sciences in San Antonio, Texas. I was trained how to discern if food met the standards of the FDA and if patients needing medical care were properly diagnosed. I had to learn how to read EKGs and spin down blood samples and determine conscious states and understand the status of vital signs. Now we as people, we expect expertise and certified credentials of doctors and psychiatrists and pilots, don't we? Don't we? But we are still sitting in our high chairs, wearing our bibs, with our mouths open wide, eating the lies and the prescriptions of unorthodox, lying, illiterate preachers. Lord, help us today. Now, my question is, how do we become discerning and mature believers? Well, 2 Timothy 3.16 reveals that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and scripture is not not all things, but scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof and correction and instruction. If you're getting instruction and if you're getting doctrine and if you're getting correction from anything other than scripture, it is the wrong entity. So that the man of God can be mature and complete and thoroughly furnished. The Bible says in 2 Peter 1 and 20, it illumines knowing first that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. Why? For the prophecy came not of old time by the will of man, but holy men, they spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. 
Now, this leads us to learn or gain knowledge through a principle entitled epistemology. Now, what is epistemology, Pastor Adams? Epistemology deals with the branch of philosophy concerned with the nature and the scope of knowledge. It addresses the questions, what is knowledge? How is knowledge acquired? What do people know? How do we know what we know? And why do we know what we know? See, epistemology is typically divided into two categories. The first one is what's called propositional knowledge. It can be thought of knowledge that as opposed to knowledge how. In mathematics, for instance, it is knowledge that one plus one equals two, but there is also knowledge of how to perform mathematics. The second is personal knowledge. Now, personal knowledge is gained experientially. For example, the theoretical knowledge of the physics involved in maintaining a state of balance when riding a bicycle, a bicycle cannot be substituted for the practical personal knowledge gained when practicing cycling. See, epistemology also deals with statements of belief. What are some of them? Knowledge entails belief. And so one's statement of belief cannot conflict with one's knowledge. Conversely, knowledge about a belief does not necessarily entail an endorsement of its truth. For example, I know about the religion Islam, but I do not believe in it. That is a coherent statement. Belief is regarded as subjective, while truth is regarded as objective reality, independent of the individual's belief or experience. While one might well believe that atheism is true, such an inclination has no bearing upon whether atheism is really true. The truth stands as independent and transcendent of one's belief and opinions concerning reality. Now, what is the foundation of epistemology? Science and deductive reason are. By which means one may acquire knowledge presupposes that the universe is logical and orderly and that it obeys mathematical laws consistent over time. Even though conditions in different regions of space can be radically diverse, there nonetheless exists an underlying uniformity. Now for the Christian who believes in a transcendent casual reality, he or she expects there to be order in the universe since the Bible teaches that God upholds all things by his power in Hebrews 1 and 3. See, the Christian expects the universe to behave in an orderly and rational fashion. Since God is omnipresent and consistent within himself, the Christian expects that all regions of the universe will obey the same laws, even though the physical conditions of different regions of the universe may be different. See, God transcends time, according to 2 Peter 3 and 8. Thus, even though conditions in the past may have been different from those now, the laws of nature are not subject to arbitrary change. The Christian has a foundation upon which to base his assumption that the universe is upheld in a consistent manager, manner, therefore as a basis upon which to gain knowledge. And then we're going to look at the area of soteriology. It is a study of the doctrine of salvation. 
Soteriology discusses how Christ's death secures the salvation for those who believe. It helps us to understand the doctrines of redemption, justification, sanctification, propitiation, and the substitutionary atonement. Other than Christology, Soteriology is the area where Christianity is the most different from the cults and other world religions. Understanding biblical Soteriology will help us to know why salvation is by grace alone through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. No other religion bases salvation on faith alone. Soteriology helps us to see why a clear understanding of our salvation will provide a peace that passes all understanding because we come to know that he who can never fail us is the means by which we were saved and the means by which we remain secure in our salvation. If we were responsible to save ourselves and to keep ourselves saved, all of us would fail. But thanks be to God that it is not the case for us. We depend upon the ability of Jesus Christ. Titus 3 verse 5 through 8 is a tremendous summary of soteriology. What does it reveal? It says he saved us not because of righteous things that we've done, but because of his mercy he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewing by the Holy Ghost whom he poured out on us lavishly and generously through Christ Jesus our Lord. So so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. And as we bring our podcast to an end today, we're going to give commentary on Christology, which comes from two Greek words meaning Christ, Messiah, and Word, which combines to mean the study of Christ. Christology is a study of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. A biblical understanding of Jesus Christ is crucial to our salvation. Many cults and world religions claim to believe in Jesus Christ, but the problem is they do not believe in the Jesus Christ that's been presented in the Bible. The scripture in Galatians warns us that there is another Jesus and there is another gospel and the world does not teach or believe in the Jesus and the gospel that's in the Bible. This is why Christology is so important. It helps us to understand the significance of the deity of Christ. It demonstrates why Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Christology teaches us that Jesus had to be man so that he could die and had to be God so that his death would pay for our sins. It is perhaps the most important area of theology. Listen to me. Without a proper understanding of who Jesus Christ is and what he has accomplished, it causes all other areas of theology to be errant as well. Any in-depth study of Christology has incredible personal impact on the, believer, the believer's daily life. Now, as we delve into the heart of Jesus, we begin to grasp the amazing concept that he being fully man and fully God loves each of us with a never ending love, the extent of which it is so hard for us to imagine. There are many various titles and names for Jesus Christ in scripture that gives us insight to who he is and how he relates to us. He's called the good shepherd, leading and protecting and caring for us as his own. He is the light of the world, illuminating our path way through sometimes dark and uncertain 
world that we live. He is called the Prince of Peace, bringing tranquility into our tumultuous lives. He is our rock, the immovable, secure base whom we can trust to keep us safe and secure in him. It is so important to know that he will never leave us nor forsake us. We can always depend on him. Now today, if you are, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ, and if you've not repented and done a 180 degree turn from your sins, if you've never become godly sorry for sinning against a holy God, you can accept his free gift of eternal life and become a disciple of Christ. And you can learn his word. Jesus is coming to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly of heart. And you're going to find rest for your souls. You can find rest in his word. You can find rest in your relationship. In your communion with him. So that you can become a disciple of Christ. Learn his word. To teach others how to become born again. And mature discerning believers in Jesus Christ. Now today, this has been the truth of spiritual discernment. God bless you and you pray for us in Jesus name. Amen. <laughs>